0: good morning it's good to see you this morning well years ago in a small town there were these two little boys an eight-year-old and a ten year old and if there was trouble in the town usually they were in the middle of it and so the parents were at their wits end didn't know what to do and so they heard that there was a pastor in town who could work miracles with bad little children he just could could strike the fear of God in them and get them to behave. So they said, well, we'll send him, we'll send these boys to the pastor and see what he can do. So they sent the 8-year-old first, and they thought they'd send the 10-year-old after him. So they sent the 8-year-old and went down one afternoon, met with the pastor in his office. The pastor was a large man, big, booming voice, intimidating. And he set the little boy down and he said, Where is God? And the boy's mouth dropped open had no response. So he said even sterner, Where is God? And the little boy had had no attempt to answer, didn't know what to say. And finally the the pastor got to his feet and, and put his finger in the boy's face and said, Where is God? And the boy screamed. And bolted from the room and ran all the way home and, and went to his, his room and dove into his closet and slammed the door behind him. A few minutes later, his older brother found him and said, what's wrong? What happened? The younger brother was having a hard time breathing and said, we're in big trouble. God is missing. And they think we did it. God is certainly not missing. Amen? God is not missing. He's glorious. He's ever-present. He's wonderful. Everything that you can think of that's good is God. Today we're talking about the glory of God and how it was displayed in the call of Ezekiel. We're going to see how incredible God is Today We have a long passage, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you uh, for passages such as this, which is a challenging one, but one that we can learn a lot from you as we, as we look at the imagery that was used and how you revealed these angels in your glory to Ezekiel this day, Father. Lord, I pray that uh, you take my words and, and, and they reflect your heart and you turn them into a sermon today, Father. And I pray that, that you would fill me with your spirit in preaching. And that those here today and those watching online or on TV would also receive this message. And it would help them today. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ezekiel was was written during the Babylonian captivity of the jews and in 605 bc jerusalem was attacked daniel and other captives were taken to babylon and then about eight years later in 597 jerusalem was attacked again by babylon this time they took treasure uh, from the temple and more captives were taken to babylon of which ezekiel was one and then ten years later in 587 jerusalem fell and almost everyone remaining in the kingdom and was exiled Ezekiel was taken captive in this second phase And the people of God had had been captured They're in the middle of being captured In the process of losing their nation They're now captives To a foreign ruling empire God had sent prophet After prophet to Judah and and Israel He had urged them to turn From worshiping false gods to quit living sinful lifestyles or or God would judge them. And he gave them message after message. And he gave them chance after chance. But they never fully listened and never turned to them with their heart. And so now they find themselves under his judgment. Yet, even in judgment, even in judgment, God was still with them. God is still sending them His word. He's still giving them words of hope. And it starts with God revealing Himself to His prophet Ezekiel in this incredible way. And he's revealing Himself and showing how magnificent. And how glorious He is. So today I want to give you three attributes of God's glory. Three attributes of the glory of God that we see in this passage. Number one is that God is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere. He is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere. Verse 4 says, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north. And a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. In the midst of the fire, it was were a gleaming metal. So Ezekiel sees a storm, more literally a, a whirlwind, a tornado, with wind, lightning, and it's coming from the north, which is usually synonymous with God's judgment. When you see God's judgment throughout Scripture, it's, it's coming from the north. And so he understood that this vision, this storm coming from the north was not just some coincidence. It wasn't just some factor of climate change and nothing like that. It was from the judgment of God. Coming from the north meant that God was sending this storm. That storm being the Babylonians. And the blinding light from the storm underscored that the glory of God was in the storm. That he was sending to God's people. And then it says in verse 5, And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. Now this is one of the more famous descriptions in all of Scripture. Probably because we're not real sure exactly what all it means. There are differences of opinion about certain images. People actually have tried to draw this out. And if you've seen it drawn out, it's actually kind of like pretty frightening. Looks <laughs> kind of like a little bit of a horror movie. Uh, in chapter 10, Ezekiel reveals that these living creatures were, were cherubim. Special heavenly angels. They had unique power and, 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 and glory. And they typically surround God. But here they are showing themselves to Ezekiel. Typically around the throne of God. And here they are speaking to Ezekiel. And it says in verse 5, this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. They had a human likeness. Now, they weren't men. They weren't human. But they had some form or structure that looked human. And he goes into detail of what they looked like. Verse 6. Each had four faces. Now, you may have heard of someone being two-faced before. (laughs) But they had four faces. Verse 7, their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces in their wings. Thus, verse 9, their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. And wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. So you have these creatures with four faces they are going back and forth and darting back and forth and, and, and going wherever the Spirit led them to go. A lot has been said about these faces and what they represent. Bible scholars have a lot of theories. Some say they they represent the tribes of Israel. Some say they represent all of intelligent creation. Some say they represent that, that of sentient creation, that all beings that are aware, that can feel. But what is unmistakable in this description is that it shows that God is everywhere. He's going everywhere. He's seeing everything, looking at everything. Wherever the spirit wants to go, it goes. He is everywhere. God is everywhere. Now, God is not in everything. That is a difference. He created everything. I want to show you a little bit about some views of God. We have an image here we should have. If you look at the middle one, we're just as God. That's pantheism. That's the view that God is in everything. Like, like the lizard outside is God. My dog is God. You're God. This pulpit is God. The roof is God. The redwood tree is God. God is in everything. That's not a biblical view of God. That's pantheism. Dualism next to it says that God and the universe are on these, this, this path, and they're both going the same way, that God is independent from the universe, and that's not what we believe. Deism believes that there's God in creation, but they're both separate. And materialism there, second from the left, believes that there is no God, there's just the universe... This is what you typically hear from a lot of unbelievers, people who are spiritual, to talk about the universe did this. The universe gave me a bad hand. The universe has, has done this. This is what they'll, they'll call the universe. But reality on the far left is that there's God who is over all creation because he created it. So because he transcends all creation, God transcends time. He transcends space. God is everywhere. Not in everything. He's everywhere. He's everywhere is much better than being in everything he's omnipresent that's what we call this God's omnipresence he is everywhere at all times wherever you go there he is you can't escape him and would you want to No. God's size cannot be measured if we had to measure it his size would be said to be larger than anything we can imagine He cannot be limited by time or space. He transcends them both. Look at Psalm 139. The writer says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Sometimes I tell this to my my little four-year-old John David who won't leave me alone. I, I can't get away from you. He says this, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and... Dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. He says, I can't get away from you. No matter where I go, there you are. There is nowhere in the entire universe where we can avoid God's presence. That's really good if you know Jesus, but if you don't, I imagine it's haunting. Knowing that God is watching and you're living a life of sin that is going to be judged. This is what he's trying to show Ezekiel. That even in their captivity, even in the sin they brought upon themselves, God is still with them. Even in Babylon, God is is still with them. Even though you can't see the temple, even though there's no sacrifices, God is still with them. No matter what you are going through in your life, no matter how down you might be today, even if you brought it upon yourself, even if you're living in the consequences of your own sin, God is still with you. Amen. And that's what he's trying to tell. That he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And even in the storms that God might bring into your life to get your attention, to get you to turn back to Him, He is everywhere. Secondly, not only is He everywhere, God is omniscient, meaning He is all-knowing. He's everywhere, and He knows all. You might think you know people who are all-knowing, but they're not. There's only one being that knows all. He's God. Verse 15. He says, Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. The four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. It becomes a little more confusing when you look at, think about it that way. A wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. They're just not turning, but they're rotating or something. And, and, and somehow they're not turning, but they're going wherever they want. Verse four, 18, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes. Now just one, two, full of eyes. Seeing everything. Verse 19. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. <clears throat> and wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. This is a representation of God's omniscience. That He knows all. He sees all. He sees all that's transpiring. He knows all that is happening. God knows all there is to know. Look at 1 John 3.20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. God knows everything there is to know. Everything. He knows everything that there is about you. He knows everything that there is about me. Look at Matthew 6, 8. He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows what you need when you don't know what you need. You might think you know what you need, but God really knows what you need. And it might not line up with what you think you need. Psalm 139, 1-4. One oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. And you're not even with me from afar. You're not with me. You're not even in my head technically, but, but you discern them. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows everything about you. Look at Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet. There were none of them. Your life has been written. You have not lived all of it yet, but all your days have been written. Well, I guess if you're a super independent person, that might frighten you a little bit. It's not fatalism. It's just that God knows all. You still make real decisions. You're living in real time. There's still You still have choices in this life. But God knows whatever choice you might make. And he knows that every choice you don't make. In every possible scenario. In every possibility. And that should give you great comfort. Knowing that this life is not out of control. That God knows everything that could possibly happen. Look at Matthew eleven twenty one. And they rejected Jesus, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and sacked off the ashes. Jesus knows how people would have acted if it were to happen. It didn't. But if it were, this is what would have happened. Now, I like to tell my children all the time, Well, you know, if you had done this, this would have happened. If you hadn't done this, this is what would have happened. But I don't really know that. I have a pretty good inclination. High chance, probability, but I don't really know. But when God says it would have happened, it would have happened. Amen. God knows how things could and would occur. He knows where our steps will take us. We may not have the future figured out, but He knows all, so He does. And the fact that God is all-knowing is an ever-present comfort for us. Have you ever wondered why certain things you desired in life never came about? Wondered about that? Certain things in your life just never happened. You, you were, why did that not happen? Why did that not occur? Have you ever thought about that the fact that these things didn't come about might have been God's grace in your life? Have you ever thought about that before? Things that you might have wanted could have been a curse. It might have been God protecting you, blessing you. Have you ever thought that God knew what would have happened? Had you gotten your way? Many times it's by God's grace and His knowledge of future possible events that He protects us from suffering. I can't tell you the amount of times where I have been late for something or, 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 or something gets in my way or something... And then maybe I see a wreck down the road that just happened. Or something lines up. I'm like, you know, I would have been right there when that happened. That's happened to me multiple times. And I was frustrated about not being something or getting something. And then I realized, whoa, I'm glad that did not occur. God, by his knowledge of future possible events, as a child of God, he is protecting us. He is with us. I saw a video one day of these children. It was called like saves or something like this, where a child would fall off a chair or fall off a boat dock or something. And and as it was happening, like the dad or the mom or somebody would catch him just in time. The child never knew. It was a baby, like a baby or a little kid. Never knew what was happening or what could have happened. And the, the dad or the mom saved them. God does that for us all the time without us ever doing. He protects us from further suffering. He knows, we talked about this last week, he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the amount of grains of sand on the earth. But he doesn't necessarily have to take inventory, he just knows it. But then Isaiah 3 says something interesting. He says that, that God will not remember our sins. Well, how can He know everything and not remember our sins? Well, God will not literally forget our sins. He will, however, not keep, let our sins keep us in relationship from Him. He never brings them up. They don't keep us from relationship to Him. Our sins are as good as forgotten. Some may say, if God knows all things that will ever happen, does that mean... We don't have freedom to make choices. No, as I mentioned earlier, we make real decisions that determine our actions. We have real actions and consequences. But God knows it all. God knows everything. And he's working in this life for us as he knows everything. And finally, number three, God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. All-powerful. Verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like all inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of the wings, like the sound of many waters. "...like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance." And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Fire gleaming on a throne. Power. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. It would be a magnificent thing to see the visible representation of the power of God. Amen. Ezekiel fell and he heard the voice speaking. Description of the incredible power of God. The throne shows, the throne signifies who is reigning, who is in control. It's not a, a, an oligarchy somewhere. It's not a select group of people. It's not a president, a dictator. God is on his throne. Even in the captivity of Babylon, when it looks like the Babylonians are running everything, God is on the throne, not Nebuchadnezzar. God is on the throne. He is the one that has complete power. He is omnipotent. Everything depends on him for his existence. God does not need anyone or anything. He exists for himself and he is independent and powerful act 17 says this the god who made the world and everything in it being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything god is all powerful and if you know jesus christ you have the Spirit of God in you. In you. But we let little things worry us, don't we? Well, you know, I don't have as much money in my savings account as I used to. I don't have any money in my checking account like I used to. A hamburger went from $5 to $7. Even chick fil A's raising their prices. What in the world is this world coming to, right? My children are a mess. My grandchildren don't know the Lord. All these things that worry us. Where's God in all these things? In Ezekiel's moment of captivity, God reveals himself in this mighty way to say, I am God. Do you need to be reminded of that today? That God is God. He's everywhere. He knows everything. And He's all-powerful. And whatever need you have because of Jesus and His work on the cross, you can bring to Him. He may not answer the way you want Him to because He knows everything. He'll answer you. and He'll make things work together for your good. We're going to have our invitation time in a few minutes. Maybe you just need to come down front to these steps and say, Lord, help me believe that you are these things. Help me believe that you know everything that I don't. Help me believe that you're everywhere and I'm not. Help me believe that you're all powerful and I'm weak. Maybe you need to have that. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you. I'd be glad to pray for you. Whatever your need is today during invitation, cry out to the God who doesn't need anything but wants you to be in relationship with Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for who You are and what You've done for us. And as we close our time together today, we thank You for being the God that we've learned about today. We thank You for Your vision of To Ezekiel. He was in a bad time in his life. That's where all the Jewish people. And when you called him to minister. When you called him to minister, Lord. You gave him this vision. So that he would be able to minister to God's people in exile.